morning, everyone. Uh, thank you, Colin, uh, for your prayer. Uh, it really is a great privilege uh, to be before you this morning uh, in leading this part of the service and delivering uh, the Word of God uh, and speaking on this passage uh, we have before us uh, this morning. Uh, I, recognize, I really do recognize the great uh, responsibility of such a task, and I definitely don't take that uh, lightly. Uh, but I do ask you to show me grace, as this is my first time preaching. Uh, but I ultimately pray that what I say this morning uh, is not of my words, uh, but of uh, the words of God's. I would also ask that you continue to have uh, your Bibles open in front of you uh, this morning, uh, so you can see that what I read, as I say, is not my words, but of uh, from uh, the Lord's Word, uh, which is freely uh, given to us. Uh, if you don't have one, feel free to grab one uh, from the back and take that home with you uh, as well. So uh, as we know, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, next week, we get to celebrate Easter, uh, the death and the resurrection uh, of the Lord Jesus. Uh, I would be in the, the small but arguably probably correct category uh, that actually prefer Easter to Christmas. Um, maybe more so because of all the, uh, the cream eggs that are at this time of year, uh, which are definitely some of my favorite snacks. Um, but as you know, we've been taking a break uh, from John's Gospel at the moment. Uh, we've been looking at the church's vision statements, uh, which has been a really, uh, really good time. Uh, but now we're back uh, in the just Gospel uh, of John, looking again at the accounts uh, of Jesus's life. Um, so we're going to be looking uh, at John 12, and, and the main point uh, I want to get across uh, today, the main point we'll be looking at is the servanthood uh, of Christ. Uh, and we come to a pivotal moment uh, in Jesus' life uh, here in John's uh, Gospel. Uh, so turn with me now, uh, if you can, to John uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 12, uh, and we will read from verse 12 uh, down, to, uh, chapter, uh, down to verse 19. Uh, and in my Bible, it's titled The Triumphal Entry. So John 12, uh, from verse 12. The next day, the large crowds that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey on Saturnet, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness that the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And this is the word of God. We know the Lord uh, will bless the reading uh, of his word. Uh, I do realize now uh, in past uh, that I really did fail to grasp the importance uh, of such a passage we have before us, uh, this, this great uh, story, or this little story really of our great uh, saviour. Uh, yeah, I hope today we may see that it's not just a nice story that we read uh, every year on Palm Sunday, reenact uh, in Sunday school, but we really understand the, the supernatural events uh, that are occurring here and how they point again to the coming again of our great King Jesus. Uh, so firstly, this morning we're going to look at uh, the Messiah's journey. Uh, you'll notice that our points this morning will all start with the letter uh, M, so hopefully we can remember them uh, together. So the Messiah's uh, journey. 
so Jesus here, he, he's entering uh, into Jerusalem, uh, which is the holy city. Uh, and this event really starts the clock ticking uh, of Jesus, the final week of Jesus' life uh, on earth. And uh, beginning today, as we read of in Palm Sunday, uh, it's going to finish uh, on Easter Sunday with the resurrection uh, of Jesus. And just to demonstrate the importance uh, of this week, uh, we see how John, who, who actually is the writer uh, of this gospel, he devotes half of this whole book uh, to this week uh, in Jesus' life. And it's not only John, we actually see this across all four gospel accounts, uh, that they put a spotlight, a very clear spotlight on, on this week. And specifically on the events that are unfolding here and the people uh, that are involved. And rather interestingly, this is actually one of two uh, of all accounts that are recorded of Jesus' ministry uh, that all four gospel writers uh, choose to write upon. Uh, the first being the feeding of the 5,000, and the second here, uh, the triumphal entry. And much can be seen in this passage uh, as we seek to, to know what's going on uh, in this time uh, and in this place of Jesus' arrival into uh, Jerusalem. Uh, so if we remember what's happened previous uh, to this text, uh, Jesus, he has just raised Lazarus uh, from the dead uh, in chapter 11. There's been a plot to kill Lazarus and Jesus uh, as a result uh, of that. Uh, and Jesus has told his disciples again on the road up to Jerusalem that he is going uh, to die. Uh, and we can, we can imagine uh, that this trip to Jerusalem must have been really a, a heavy journey of sadness uh, for uh, the disciples. And how much more so I think, uh, think of Jesus, uh, who was walking uh, to the place that he was to be crucified. Uh, in Luke 19, we read that uh, Jesus, as he comes to the city, as he sees Jerusalem, he weeps over it uh, and the people there. Uh, so I thought it would be good for us to uh, visualize this entry uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, half of my degree uh, is geography, so I love maps. So there might be one coming up on the screen. I'm not sure if there is. No, there isn't. That's fine. We'll uh, try and envision the map uh, from going up to Jerusalem. Uh, you also actually, at the back of your Bibles, there might be some as well, so you can flick there, and sometimes they have maps uh, there, uh, which is good. Uh, so Jesus, he is in just been in Bethany, uh, where Mary ha has appointed him. Uh, he walks up from the low region uh, around Jericho um, with his disciples from Bethany uh, to a small village just outside Jerusalem called Bethphage. Uh, this is beside the Mount uh, of Olives. And now this Mount of, uh, of Olivet, uh, which we see here, it's often referred to, um, is quite significant. This is the place uh, where the Sermon of the Mount has taken place. Uh, this is where Jesus is often seen retreating uh, to go and pray. Uh, and it is where he was finally uh, betrayed. And this is from Bethphage. We see the Lord rides a donkey uh, across the Kidron Valley uh, into Jerusalem's east gate uh, and into the temple. Yeah, let's look together uh, down at verse 12. Uh, at this point now, the, the multitude uh, of people. Uh, verse 12. The next day, the large crowds that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So we see here in verse 12, we see this large crowd uh, has come to the feast. Now, now this is the Passover uh, festival, the feast of Passover, and it's the greatest holiday uh, in Judaism. And this is the day that the Lord has told the Israelites to remember uh, each year, as we've read of in Exodus uh, 12. Uh, and they're to sacrifice uh, a lamb and celebrate the Lord's mercy and deliverance from Egypt. And they're to sacrifice 
uh, this lamb uh, at this time. And quite remarkably, um, from census data at this time, we also see that there's probably about 2.5 million people uh, in Jerusalem at, at the time of Jesus' uh, entry. Uh, just to put that into perspective, um, that, that, that's more than the whole population of Aberdeen, Edinburgh, and Glasgow uh, all together in this one uh, place. And many uh, of this crowd are those that are following him after raising uh, Lazarus uh, from the dead, which we'd see in our passage uh, in verse 18. So we can really imagine from these verses such a great uh, commotion uh, on the road to Jerusalem uh, as Jesus enters. Uh, There is a great singing uh, and a shouting of hundreds of thousands of people uh, as they follow Jesus on a donkey into the city and they're laying down these palm branches and their cloaks in the road before him. And this really is the, the public response uh, to the king. Yet, yet why, uh, we ask, uh, were they welcoming this rabbi uh, from Nazareth uh, in such a, a grand way, which normally would only be reserved uh, for these great military uh, conquerors? Look back in uh, verse 9 uh, of John 12 with me. And it says, when the large crowd of Jews that had learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he has raised uh, from the dead. These people here, they were, they were seekers uh, of the supernatural. Uh, we can see from, from previous miracles uh, of Jesus when he fed the 5,000, uh, many uh, were going after him as he served a purpose. He, he fed them uh, for free. Now, I admit, I see as a, as a student how that could be quite appealing. Uh, but fundamentally here, the crowds miss the point uh, of Christ's teaching. They miss the point of his purpose, of his coming, uh, and his ministry. And they want to see Lazarus raised from the dead, and they want themselves uh, to be healed uh, by Jesus. Yes, some, some in genuine faith, uh, yet many uh, for their own uh, selfish gain. They, treat, they really treat Jesus as, as a means to an end, uh, a free doctor, but fail to listen uh, to the teachings that he has uh, to say to them. I wonder how often uh, we fall into that same trap, seeking the experiential high in worship or being involved in uh, some amazing uh, Christian ministry, uh, yet so easily losing heart for who uh, we are doing these things for. Uh, Our purpose uh, as Christ's servants uh, on this earth bought at a great price. It's that Greek word, doulos. Uh, We we easily try to satisfy ourselves with what we think uh, God can give us, whether that is happiness, a feeling of belonging, uh, the knowing uh, of his power. Not all wrong things, but I think we can so uh, quickly uh, lose sight, uh, very much so, of finding our true satisfaction uh, in Christ. As John Piper would say, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Uh, Look down with me again, verse 13. It says, So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The crowds are now crying uh, these two messianic statements uh, here. Uh, firstly, we hear, hear this one, uh, Hosanna, uh, which we've heard of from Colin this morning uh, as well. And I think it's a word uh, we, we hear a lot, we sing of, we sang in a hymn uh, already uh, this morning. Uh, yet I think, we, do we actually know its true meaning uh, of the word? And we actually find this acclamation uh, of Hosanna from Psalm 118. 
It's Psalm 118 from verse 25. It should come up on the, on the screen as well. And it says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the two Hebrew words we see here in this phrase are Ayasha and Anna. And combined, they mean make safe, I pray you. Another way of saying that is, is salvation now. And we see here a cry for salvation out of need and also this cry of thankfulness. The people were crying out, you are bringing salvation itself, Jesus. And of course they're right. Christ is is there to deliver himself as a ransom for many. He is a propitiation for their sins and for our sins. Yet as they chant Hosanna, uh, they were not singing uh, for the salvation in which Christ was bringing. So the Passover festival uh, itself is celebrating this, uh, throwing off the shackles of the oppressive nation uh, of Egypt that was once enslaving them, and, uh, the, and the celebration of the saving of their firstborn sons, as we read in Exodus. And it's this great deliverance, this is, this is the idea uh, of the Passover uh, festival. And at the time of Jesus, it's not the Egyptians that are ruling over them, but it's now uh, the Jews are oppressed uh, by the Romans. But now for the Jews, what do they expect of this entering king? What do they hope when they cry out, salvation now, Hosanna? And they hope here to throw off the shackles of Rome, uh, this oppressive political empire. Uh, They seek for a temporal deliverer of military might to restore the nation uh, of Israel. They say in their hearts, if only Jesus was to deliver us from this political uh, oppression, we would be happy. To retrieve back the money and the wealth taken from us uh, from Rome. To restore our national identity as promised to us in the covenant uh, of our forefathers. Is this not what we still see today uh, in our own hearts when we cry out uh, to Jesus? If you, O Lord, would just take away the outside pressures of my life, if you would give me worldly prosperity and the freedom to sin as I please, then I will be happy. Then I will be content in you. And whilst many Christian influences put forward this false gospel, this is, we read in our passage today that it's not the message of salvation that Jesus brings. It's not wealth or freedom to do as we please. But a true problem that needs to be rooted out uh, is our sin. Uh, we, are, we are sinners before a good and a holy God. He, he is a just God with holy wrath. And even if we are given all the earthly desires uh, we could ever dream of, all the oppression in our lives uh, was to cease, we would still be sinners. We would still be standing helpless, condemned to death in God's courtroom. And Jesus came to this earth to bring real salvation. He came to suffer on that cross. He was bearing the iniquity of our sins in that place to make a way for us to be made right with our maker. That one day we will be home in paradise with him forever, crying out, Hosanna, praise to the Lord forever and ever. Look with me back in verse 13 of John 12 again. It says this, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the second of the messianic statements uh, in which the crowds, crowds are shouting here, uh, found again in Psalm 118, now in verse uh, 26. And here they are acknowledging uh, that Jesus comes 
uh, from God. They are rightfully praising Jesus for who he is uh, and for their salvation. But is this the salvation they're praising of for their, from their sins? Do they recognize who Jesus really was and what he'd actually come to Jerusalem uh, to do? In Luke's gospel, we read that even Jesus' disciples, even the day that he had told them as he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to die there, that they are cheering and shouting uh, along with the crowds. Uh, these crowds earlier in Jesus' ministry actually believed that he, he came from the devil, uh, yet here they, they finally do realize that he has come uh, from God. And we see that, and whilst they, they recognize it, this it is still, uh, we see that in their hearts. It is blessed is he who comes, uh, it's not blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, as we read from the psalm that they're saying, but it is blessed is he who comes if he comes in my name uh, for my will. And what do we see of the same crowd uh, five days later? There's a complete rejection of Christ. Jesus is not there to do their will uh, in overthrowing uh, the Romans, so they turn from him. Uh, rather than the shouts uh, of praises uh, for the king, they cry shouts of curses for his death. Uh, we know how in the story uh, of Easter that they would rather Barabbas, the murderer, uh, on the streets uh, rather than Jesus. Uh, the Jews ultimately declaring here, uh, you shall rule over us, Jesus, but only as long as you do what we uh, expect of you. How often can we be uh, the same? Uh, we say, Lord, uh, be king uh, of my life. But when he doesn't do something we don't like, how quick are we to turn uh, from his will, dooming our own uh, far greater? We say, Jesus, you are king. You are sovereign one who came to save. But I'm not happy with you in this area. Or I'm not sure I could obey you in this area uh, of my life. The crowds here are declaring uh, him king, but their praise is ultimately hollow. As J.C. Ryle says, they thought so much of the Messiah's crown that they lost sight uh, of the cross. So does Christ just serve for a purpose in our lives, or is he the purpose in our lives? So we follow the Lord maybe, maybe one day to get to heaven, do we come to church to appease others because we think uh, it's a good thing? We have everything uh, we need uh, in Christ and Christ alone. Our only response to the sacrifice of Jesus uh, displayed on the cross can be in humble service uh, of our King and full obedience and worship for his glory. We see here Christ came uh, as the humble uh, King. May we turn again from our self-centeredness and turn to him in humility. We can see this humility also of Christ in the mode of transportation through the messianic fulfillment of prophecy. We're going strong with the M's here. So the mode of transportation. So I did title actually this, this section first, the wee donkey, but in my Englishness I'm definitely not able to do the Scottish accent any justice. Uh, but here we are. So verse 14 of this passage. Uh, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. Uh, and this really does beg, beg the question, why? Why did Jesus array, arrange to arrive into the holy city of Jerusalem on a donkey's coat? 
And the donkey here is the foal of, of the donkey. The colt even is the foal of the donkey. It's the younger and weak animal. Uh, yet Jesus still chooses to take this animal on this big entry uh, into the holy city. It'd be cool that Jesus had walked this whole way from Jericho uh, so far. So what need did he have to ride these last two miles into Jerusalem uh, on the donkey's colt? Simply again, uh, we see here the Lord's uh, servant-heartedness. It's a demonstration again of the humility uh, of Christ. And this act further uh, fulfills the prophecy from Zechariah, uh, written over 500 years before the birth uh, of Jesus. Uh, And scholars have shown that there are upwards of over uh, 12,000 prophecies that have been fulfilled uh, through Jesus's, uh, of the coming Messiah, that have been fulfilled through Jesus's uh, ministry and life uh, on these earth. And these fulfillments in themselves are credibility, I believe, enough uh, for Jesus to be the the true Messiah. Yet we see here in this prophecy in Zechariah, uh, this is an exact uh, fulfillment of what the Old Testament uh, predicts. Uh, So turn with me, if you can, to uh, Zechariah uh, 9, uh, verse 9. And you'll find this this is the book uh, just before Malachi, which is the last book uh, in the Old Testament. Zechariah 9, uh, verse 9. And it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this is what the coming Messiah uh, would look like. Many, many of the Jews would know this. They, they would have recognized this as they rejoiced, as they shouted, uh, as Jesus entered uh, Jerusalem. And this would be an entry unlike any of the coming Roman kings or emperors uh, they would know. I was thinking of examples uh, of this in our day uh, as well. And I remember that we have the upcoming coronation uh, of the king. And I'm sure we will witness there that this great royal procession uh, of, of people from uh, Buckingham Palace into Westminster Abbey, the, the great royal companies, there'll be great music, I'm sure there'll be great military uh, fanfare, and vast crowds that are lining the streets uh, of London. Uh, this will seemingly be uh, a real triumphal entry of a king, uh, seemingly so definitely compared uh, to Christ's, which we see here. So where is the triumph in Christ's entry. I believe Christ's triumph, it comes through the cross. It comes through the laying down of his life as a ransom for many, the humble sacrifice. This is not a triumph of the people, nor the praise, nor the great welcome. Yet the triumph of King Jesus as he is, it's come to give his life to defeat death on the third day. This is where we read in, in this passage in, in Zechariah. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey. Uh, what more then uh, of this donkey uh, we see in this passage? Uh, we read in the earlier, earlier in these Gospels, and no one had actually ever sat uh, on this donkey. Uh, at the start of this year, uh, I actually had the privilege of visiting Morocco. Uh, with some friends, and I remember uh, one thing that was very different about the culture out there was the mode uh, of transportation. Uh, Firstly, was the utmost complete lack of rules uh, on the road whatsoever, Uh, but more so was actually the vast amount of donkeys that were used everywhere, um, from in the main cities up to the high uh, Atlas Mountains. 
uh, these donkeys uh, were being used. And often they were uh, heavy laden with huge bags uh, of bricks uh, or sand or sometimes with a whole family uh, of children uh, on their backs. But this donkey we see uh, in our passage here, he had not once had a human sat on his back. And this was tradition uh, in Judaism that no one would sit uh, on the king's horse uh, or donkey for when they came uh, in peace. And in the other Gospels, we see that the disciples even put their own cloaks uh, on the back uh, of the donkeys, which is further signifying here the royalty uh, of King Jesus. This donkey has been divinely uh, set apart. And Christ was coming into Jerusalem uh, as a servant king in peace. And we will see later how this really does contrast with the second coming, but Christ here, uh, the humble king. And one great passage of scripture, I think, really helps us to understand this as well as Paul was speaking of the humility of Christ. We read it in Philippians 2. You don't need to turn there, I'll just read it for us now. It's Philippians 2, it says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Uh, What rich and bountiful humility uh, Christ shows, knowing all he is to face uh, in the week to come. He he has the rejection uh, from his closest friends. He has the beating, the mocking, the crucifixion, the full wrath uh, of God. Uh, And what great picture of the true beauty uh, in the character uh, of Christ we see here and the unfolding eternal purpose and the plan uh, of God. And from the donkey to the cross, everything down to the most minute details is under his fingertips. We see from God's sovereignty so clearly through this passage. And what great joy uh, we can have as well that this same God, he knows us, he loves us, and he has his plans for us. So we have seen this large crowd, it has come to welcome Jesus and has followed them this whole whole way. Now back in uh, verse 13, uh, this is where Palm Sunday, as we've heard of, gets its name from. Uh, Verse 13 in John 12, and it says, So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And this is our uh, next point. The monocot uh, branches, uh, any budding botanists out there uh, will know that a palm tree uh, is a type of monocot tree. I certainly didn't know that a week ago. Uh, and John's gospel is actually the only gospel that mentions that it's palm branches that are laid before Jesus. Uh, so I thought I'd take the freedom uh, to call the monocot branches to fit our theme of M's this morning. Uh, there's much here to be said uh, of the palm branch uh, itself. Uh, I remember growing up uh, in the Church of England uh, primary school, uh, and each year we would attempt to make a palm branch out of the, these little strips uh, of woody uh, paper, uh, always rather unsuccessfully, um, and which more often than not actually turned into swords that ended up playing with. Um, but yeah, it's clear here we have such a, a significant uh, symbol of the palm branch here that we would celebrate such an event through this palm branch. 
Uh, and uh, again, it really is the sign uh, of royalty. Uh, society uh, at this time would wave these palm branches and lay them down uh, in the road to welcome home a victorious king. And we can trace the, the further significance of this uh, back into the Old Testament uh, to the festival of booths. Uh, and these booths or small shelters that were made by the Israelites uh, once a year to remind them uh, of their wilderness wanderings. Uh, at this time, as they, they dwelt in the temporary structures uh, in the desert. Uh, and in the wilderness, they used animal skins, but now they are using these lush uh, palm branches um, because there is a distinction between dwelling uh, in the wilderness and where they are dwelling now uh, in this passage. Uh, they have been delivered by God's grace uh, into the promised land. And they're reminded how far the Lord has brought them uh, by his grace alone. Yet they have seen even here in the, in, in the promised land, they're still being continually oppressed uh, by the Romans. Uh, the last time the Israelites uh, had their freedom uh, was during the Maccabean rule. And at this time, the money actually had a symbol uh, of a palm branch uh, on it. And, and this has become a symbol uh, for the Jews uh, of peace and victory uh, for all the Israelites. Uh, and so much so, it actually became much more of a Jewish national symbol. And uh, now here, they are hearing of Jesus, this Messiah that had come. And they believed that he had come uh, to deliver them. How ironic I think it is when they wave these palm branches in their military acclamation uh, for Jesus to come in power uh, to deliver them. Yet they're actually waving these symbols of peace uh, to the servant king uh, as he enters Jerusalem. A little wonder then, uh, as we read in the book of Revelation, that we'll do this too. Uh, we ourselves, uh, we are going to bring palm branches to the Lord Jesus, and we ourselves are going to demonstrate that we have been brought out of this wilderness uh, of sin and into his kingdom by the Lord's grace uh, alone. Uh, Revelation 7, uh, 9 to 10 uh, says this, and it's in John's vision. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. One day too, we here, with palm branches in our hands, will declare the praise uh, to the conquering King the lamb upon the throne, uh, for by the grace uh, of God we have been saved. Finally here we see the, the symmetry uh, in the passage of Christ's momentous return, our final M. We have seen uh, the subjection uh, of Christ in his first entry. Uh, now let's look, us, look towards the sovereignty uh, of Christ in his second uh, coming. And the parallels we can see uh, from this entry into Jerusalem uh, to his next uh, still to come. So we've already seen it in the prophecy uh, of uh, Zechariah uh, that John has referenced in our passage today that Christ's entry upon a donkey it says in verse 19, Fear not, daughter uh, of Jerusalem. Uh, fear not, daughter of Zion, sorry. Uh, and Jesus here, he, he comes in humility. He's not leading his disciples uh, to war, uh, but to witness. Uh, and the second coming uh, of Christ will be, will be in parallel, but it'll actually be quite different. Uh, turn with me to Revelation 19, uh, if you can. And from verse 11, uh, we will read 
It's the last book uh, of the Bible. Revelation 19 from verse 11. We read again of John's vision uh, in the end times. And it says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting in it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And this time, when our Lord will come, he will come in, in holy wrath uh, and judgment uh, to rule. We, we have read and uh, we will, you can read in Zechariah 14 that he will, he will come again to the same place that he ascended from the Mount of Olives. He will come again to that same place and he will uh, be righteous and victorious king. He won't be riding a donkey, but as we read here, he'll be riding a white war horse. Uh, reading on, actually, in that, in that same uh, chapter in Revelation 19, but verse 14. It says, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will lead the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lords of Lords. Now, what a truly triumphant entry uh, this is going to be. And unlike the first uh, fearful entry, this is going to be. Uh, we see great imagery here in the return uh, of Christ and the whole, whole of heaven's armies coming to judge uh, the earth. And I wonder when uh, this judge, uh, the victorious king, comes, what will your standing be before him? Do we live in expectancy of Christ's imminent return? And what great joy there is for the Christian uh, that despite our deserving state of wrath uh, of God uh, for, for eternity, uh, that Christ has made a way for us to be saved. Now, riding into Jerusalem as he did 2,000 years ago on that donkey uh, as a lamb to the slaughter. So we hold fast the joy of our salvation as we are saved uh, from the wrath to come. And do we really take an urgent approach to our evangelism as we see what the unbeliever faces? As the Jews celebrated here the Passover festival, we can celebrate the final Passover lamb whose blood was slain once and for all for us. We deserve nothing, yet he gave his all. We see in this passage they wanted a conquering king. He came a meek and lowly king. They wanted a white horse. He came on a donkey's coat. They wanted him to defeat the enemies by force. He would so by dying. And will we be like those crowds uh, in Jerusalem? Outwardly praising the king, yet inwardly welcoming the Lord in our hearts to serve our purposes. Yeah, let us examine our hearts to see our, our true intentions uh, here. Do we say we're a Christian because it is a good thing to do? A way to feel good, a way to fix our problems? A way to please our parents uh, or those around you? Or have we accepted Christ uh, into our hearts, our faith of the risen King? Our absolute and utter need of Jesus as our Saviour? And do we ponder our dreadfully sinful state before an almighty and holy and just God? 
And despite our complete uh, unworthiness, he would make a way uh, for our salvation. And he would hang there on that tree, uh, bearing our complete sin. He would have the full wrath of God uh, upon uh, himself in our place, that we uh, may go free. What amazing grace our God lavishes on us. And for those uh, that are not saved, as we read uh, in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he was raised from the grave, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And may we sing praises to our God this morning. For we are the servants of the servant king. And let us set our hearts with an eternal perspective as we serve him, as we love him. For he is also the returning king. And what great cause we have for celebration this Easter. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's take a moment of quiet and then I'll pray. Oh, how precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Our God and Father, we come before you uh, this morning. Lord, you are the servant king. Uh, We look to the completed work at Calvary, how for the joy set before you, you endured the cross despising uh, the shame and are seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, we know your work is complete. Lord, we thank you for your words. Uh, We thank you that we can gather under it as your people to learn, uh, to be encouraged, uh, to be challenged. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, each of us uh, this morning we may have hearts that are further conformed uh, to the image uh, of Christ as we see uh, the day of your coming again Uh, drawing ever near. Lord, we thank you that you rode on that donkey into that city, a lamb to the slaughter uh, in our place. Lord, may we daily uh, rejoice in our salvation and rejoice in our great need for you. Uh, God, we uh, pray that our hearts may not be that of the crowds we have read of uh, today, but may we have genuine faith uh, in the King uh, of Kings. Help us this day, we pray, O Lord, that you may be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.